welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Clean Tech Talk is brought to you by Voltus, a leading technology platform connecting distributed energy resources to electricity markets, delivering less expensive, more reliable, and more sustainable electricity. Voltus is on a mission to help solve the climate crisis by unlocking the full value of distributed energy resources, and we want your help getting there. To view our open positions, visit voltus.co slash cleantechnica. That's www.voltus.co forward slash cleantechnica. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zachary Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica, and we're talking with Rodney Hooper of RK Equity. This is part two of our two-part interview. There was Robin Denholm, chair of Tesla, was in Australia at a mining conference a few months ago, and she was pushing very hard for, for Australia to not just mine the minerals, but to process them in Australia instead of sending them to China to process, as we've talked about before, is, is the norm globally. Can you yeah, speak a little bit about that push and okay, whether so or not you think, think it's think had any a, effect? I think that's a, a wish, because the reality is, if you look in Australia um, in terms of royalties and in terms of corporate taxes, the huge labor pressures in Western Australia, you're competing against iron ore and others for the same labor. People salaries are through the roof, electricity is not that cheap. So there's no incentive from the government to do downstream. I think they're looking a little at doing batteries, but not lithium processing. So the only reference points I have are Quinana and Kemerton, which is Tangshi and, and uh, Albemarle and Minres. And Kemerton, to the best of my knowledge, the cost of, of, of uh, the capital cost of, of creating a chemical converter there, excluding the mine, you know, came out at a whisker under $30,000 a ton. Now you can build a, a, a chemical converter in China for five to $6,000 a ton. So we're talking about a material difference. So that's yes, huge, I understand. That's a huge difference. <laughs> I understand yeah. Tesla wants to have ex-China de-risking, but I'm saying mathematically, it's, it's challenged in Oz because in, in Australia, mining is profitable. Iron ore, guys produce for nothing and sell it for a fortune, and it generates enormous royalties for the Western Australian, you know, for, for the Western Australian state, so, as do other commodities. So they don't see mining as something that you need to support or foster. They see it as something that is a revenue generator, and iron ore, on, on, you know, in terms of um, royalty income and income taxes is a multiple of what lithium is by many. Now, Europe, on the other hand, are far more amenable to it. And we expect projects and so on, you know, like Sinovec and the Czech Republic and what have you, the government, so that, you know, uh, European Metals' partner is, is CHES, which is a state-owned utility. And the government has said that they are going to give, uh, I think it's two and a half billion crowns. I, I don't know what it is. I, I can't remember the exact conversion in, in dollar terms, but as assistance and support for putting a battery cell plant in to the Czech Republic. 
And then what you have is ERT, you know, ERT and all the other organizations that give grants and almost loan subsidies and what have you to up and coming projects. So taking the economics aside and the, and the, and the sort of the geological resource, et cetera, you know, those projects like EMH and some of the others, and I know that, you know, Infinity also, you know, had a rollout of funding. They get supported and it makes a huge difference in terms of the economics. The other thing, of course, is if you're in Europe, you're going to use it in Europe. So if cathode plants are building up, that's great. Whereas in Australia, you can even do downstream there, but where does it go from there? Once you make a lithium chemical, it's got to go to a cathode plant. And 75% of all cathode capacity is in China. And the balance is in South Korea and Japan and a little bit elsewhere. It is changing, but for now, you know, there is some in Europe. So Europe is a much more closed loop setup and you've had BASF and a couple of others putting in cathode plants. So Australia is still on its own. There isn't enough localized demand to do cathode and cell. In my opinion, the market's not big enough. Yeah, I mean, Europe's got a much bigger population, a much yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you look at EV sales estimates, where are we going to be in 2030? My guess is you're going to be maybe 10 to 12 million EVs or possibly more just in, you know, the European market. So it, it's, it's much more supportive. So when you go and ask the question, Europe wants it, they're legislating it and they're supporting it financially, which is why we like uh, certain projects there because they're getting consumer and government support and ev incentives yeah and europe's very quite strong on their yeah their geopolitical and, and economic kind of um, policies and plans one yeah. so what what we'll just i have one more topic on uh and then anything that you have remaining so i've i've heard from sources that well let me get the actually i can get the exact that lg energy energy solution in in poland is producing 5,000, about 5,000 Ford Mustang Mach-E battery modules a day, which uh, there's 10 modules in a pack, comes to about 500 packs a day. So even if you just do 350 days a, a year, take out you know, a couple of weeks, that's 175,000 potential Mustang Mach-E packs that are being produced. That's you know a lot higher than everything we've heard before for what Ford plans to produce with the Mustang Mach-E. So I have two questions. One is, does that sound like it translates into there's more production than we thought uh, from everything you had heard or know? And secondly, just do you think that the signals from Europe in the past year, year plus have just put everybody on a faster pace to say, hey, let's let's ramp up faster. Ford has a target now of 100 percent EVs in Europe, 100 uh, percent full EVs in Europe by 2030. So it's it's got a very strong, clear target to electrify there. Yeah. So that's too many questions in one. But yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, it, it makes it makes sense in the sense that if if Europe by and large, as we some have already stated it, others, I guess, will will come out with it. If you think broadly, and sorry, just, let me just because I didn't give full con. Those those uh, batteries are produced for Ford Mustang Mach E's everywhere. So that's that's their that's where they get all their batteries for their Mach E everywhere sold everywhere in the U.S. etc. Okay, so if you if you think about it, like so, if you if you're going to have most of Europe ban 
internal the sale of new internal combustion engine vehicles and even hybrids by 2035. Logically, you sh- the only thing you should be making in 2030 is an EV because the market, you know, for there's no point in plowing it in. So everyone's kind of on, on the right track. My understanding is that, but, but the Mackie won an award recently. It didn't win Car of the Year from somebody. So I understand that it, the demand It did win high. a Car of the Yeah, it did I work. When, and in the US, we have a problem of uh, so many people want one and there's so little that the dealers are putting like $10,000 markups on them. So, And yeah. I understand Ford is the biggest culprit on that. But again, we're getting back into chip territory and shortages and so on. And, and I understand basically lots of clearing out. You can't, you can't buy, you know, secondhand car prices, if, if you look at the graphs, are, are really high. So I think that they have a viable market to grow in the Mackey. So it makes sense of, of what you're saying. It, it'll be interesting. They are now talking about their own battery cell plants, Ford. So they're now speaking about, I think with SK, they, they're doing the, the JV. So they're taking it, uh, you know, pretty seriously, I guess, in the end. And back to, you know, your, it, it will be interesting to see how it evolves is back to your, your question around you know australia is the other thing is you know if you're going to do cathode and battery cell where are you going to get all the other components if you don't make them or if they're not there so uh you know if you have a battery cell plant in europe or in canada or the us or what have you you know you think about other things like graphite if you're making you know zero carbon anode material like Nouveau Monde wants to do in Canada, you don't have to send that to the cathode producer. That goes directly if it's anode material to the cell plant. So you can do it all, all together. So I think Ford is, is probably, you know, having a look at, at what it needs to achieve and, and uh, their ambitions. So I, I think to your question, they definitely are on a fast track because I think the market, the the addressable market for the Mackie is a lot bigger than their current sales. So you mentioned earlier a little bit, the kind of, you, you said something about geothermal, using geothermal sources for, for lithium. I think it's the GM kind of had a knee jerk kind of reaction perhaps of, you know, jumping into something that was, I guess, greener or or ESG or something? Could, could you speak a little bit about the ESG matter in this market and how that's, you know, obviously very challenging when you're trying to get it, you know, when there's a huge limited supply and a lot of supply comes from China and all that. What, what's yeah, going on? I mean, on? That, that's, that's, you know, that's the, the reality versus the ambition is China, by and large, their higher carbon, carbon footprint on everything that they produce whereas OEMs are sort of stating that they're looking to get to zero carbon, but it's going to take some time. I'm saying there are natural advantages if you look in places like Quebec and so on, which has cheap hydro. So you're starting with you know, zero carbon energy at five cents a kilowatt hour, whatever it is, it's a huge advantage. It's not to say you know, that the geothermal and the DLE, you know, projects won't get up. We are supportive of those. I guess it's a question of timeline and immediacy as to what you need. So we think that, you know, places like, uh, you know, Quebec and, you know, Norway and and wherever else and, you know, um, 
is where they have zero carbon cheap electricity is a good foundation to start. Um, uh, and economically, it's competitive. It's not only that you're getting it at zero carbon, you're getting it cheap. So that's a huge advantage. So that's why we um, are supportive and, uh, you know, and represent, you know, projects like Nouveau Monde and what have you is if you can do a, a zero carbon graphite, as I say, you can make it into a battery grade anode material and ship it straight to a cell plant. So it doesn't have to go and find cathode plants somewhere else. Um, and economically, it stacks up. So we're in favor and we are supportive and we represent projects where they can do zero carbon or low carbon, but at the same time be price competitive to China. And I think that's important. So I guess my point was on what we mentioned was, I'm not sure how price competitive or economically competitive some of the projects are that are being supportive on the basis of them being clean and green as the overriding thing that people want. And I guess that is the tussle about, you know, uh, you know, wanting to do the right thing and have EVs and reduce your GHG emissions and so on and, and get to where you're going to is if you, you want to get there quickly or you're under pressure, you have to, you want to make an omelet, you've got to break some eggs. So EVs I wonder still- too, you know, we've done surveys for years of EV drivers and I, I was a little surprised because just consistently a very high proportion of, of EV owners put the environment or climate as, as like one of the top, top reasons they, they got an electric car. And I, I think even for prospective EV, EV buyers, you see this and I, I assume automakers have this, I mean, they've, they bought some of our reports. So I know they have some of our data, but I, I know they they do their own they have all kinds of sources i'm i assume this is something they see a lot and this is why they market it so much as as that and this is why some of them have really awesome full you know full cycle green you know manufacturing and everything for their evs but i wonder if they sort of over if they if they see too much into that because at the end of the day someone might want to be green but they're also going to look at if something's five thousand dollars cheaper or has longer yeah, range and, and all these, and these and, kind and, of things and until until carbon taxes are fully priced that's probably where people are going to lean is on price although you're seeing these commitments what we're saying is we think from an investor perspective the biggest winners will be the projects that are inherently clean and economically competitive and viable those are the ones we think will come out the winner because so, for now, yeah, carbon I mean, taxes or what have you, the carbon border adjustment mechanism and so on in Europe hasn't kicked in yet, but it's going to kick in. It's a matter of time. And then is Ch- are Chinese producers going to make the adjustments? Are they going to clean up where they get their supply from? How will people look at wastewater and all those other things? Because there's other issues that aren't obvious that you... Yeah, and they might not have such a high score, but uh, on a on a kind of systematic scale or grading system right but are important yeah so the logic of why you would want to support these low or zero carbon projects is there i'm just not sure it's going to if if those were the obvious things that people you know that were always there people would have chased them up front if there was you know that economically competitive and they have so what is the what is the kind of 
I know you're a numbers guy, so you don't like to throw numbers out uh, too roughly with, without knowing, but what is the kind of percentage of viable you know, investment projects that fit this description? Like what, what's you know, kind of the capacity percentage? Like, are we talking 5%, 10% of, of what, what's Look, being looked I, I at? Or are we in, talking? In, in fairness, though, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because it's, it's a moving target and, and companies are already you know, existing companies are already looking at ways to improve and reduce their footprint because they know the customer is asking. So if you can do it, if you're in, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't have more solar in Australia, right? If you're going to process anything, it should make economic sense. The sun shines, it should be a good business model. So I'm saying that number, it's a moving target and people are making the adjustment, but I think there are some sort of standout areas that we think will come through in time, but I think ultimately it will be unavoidable and it'll be interesting to see how you can't, you can't, you know, really say, but I mean, it depends on, on, on which product, but I think there will be some quick wins for companies to make obvious adjustments to their production processes to reduce their carbon footprint, and they'll do those. It, it'll come down to, I guess, in time, and it's something that I kind of worry about, and it's something that we'll chat about, is what happens if we get to the situation where even if carbon taxes are quite high, but it's still economically more feasible to produce in China and pay the carbon tax. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, I was going to say the percentage question was sort of a bad one, but what, so what are the key regions? You sort of mentioned them a little bit here in Norway, Sweden, I think would be up there. The, the North Canadian, Quebec, Quebec Canadian is West. good. Ontario also has a, has a good, has a good uh, access as well. But again, you know, there's certain things that, you know, are, are, are changing, you know, different Provinces and states are, even within the states, are changing, you know, how they look at it. And you can even have sort of production processes. So another client of, of ours, Hyperion, is looking to do low or zero carbon titanium metal powders. They've, you know, Dr. Fang at the University of Utah has developed the hammer process and the crawl process was quite carbon intensive and he's come up with something so it's on a needs must, and I think people will do that. But I'm interested to know. It'll be interesting to see on some of the on some of the fundamental things like lithium, where the capital cost is so much lower in China to elsewhere. Are we going to get to the point where carbon taxes makes you know stop it or or even out the market, or are we going to find ourselves in a situation where even at hundred dollars a ton carbon tax, it still makes sense to produce it? in China and, and pay the tax. Clean Tech Talk is brought to you by Voltus, a leading technology platform connecting distributed energy resources to electricity markets, delivering less expensive, more reliable, and more sustainable electricity. Voltus is on a mission to help solve the climate crisis by unlocking the full value of distributed energy resources, and we want your help getting there. To view our open positions, visit voltus.co slash cleantechnica. That's www.voltus.co forward slash cleantechnica. And just to make sure that I'm understanding, so is it all? Is it also like a matter of looking at short term versus long term? For, so, for example, right, you're just you're not going to beat China on costs in the short term, but in the long term, if you want a more competitive market with less um, sort of monopolistic 
control of these key. I mean, because right now, you know, at, at you know five percent global, you know, EV market share, it's one thing. But when you're at fifty or seventy percent, then if there's an if China has a eighty percent control of this market, they have an enormous amount of power. Like, I mean, this is like, and know. and they still do, and even look at it now. So, where is is Tesla producing a lot of its cars? They're getting CATL to make oh, the LFP yeah. battery in China to put in a car in China and then ship it to Europe. Yeah, yes, yeah. so about so half I'm of sure their production is now. To, yeah. so, and, and so my point is, well, what is the carbon footprint of an LFP battery versus the Fremont-based Model 3 that they put in their report? Yeah. They just yeah. did their um, environmental or what have you. That's based on a Model 3 in Fremont. So I'm saying, what is the carbon footprint of an LFP-based battery out of CATL in China. Exactly, yeah. And I don't yeah. get that answer. I'm waiting for that answer. My guess is it's still be economic to do it in China. That's my point to you. I think even if you yeah. slap a tax on, it's still a better place to do it. And we need to see. So how do you change that? You do but it. But that's also like- so that's also looking like you know short term now versus short term then. And there's I it seems like there's also a question that's very hard to get around and hard to is you know if if China retains eighty percent of production capacity, they have so much economic power, economic and I mean, you know, broader power. How important is it to have a more diversified lithium supply chain for the future of of European, North American, but Australian? You need, you need diversified everything because China processes it mines no cobalt, but it processes ninety percent of the world's cobalt. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of. It makes a percentage of the lithium. It doesn't mine it. It processes it, and then in the cathode market, so it's along the entire supply chain. And I guess a little more it's, it's directly. It's fun and well to say I make lithium elsewhere, but that's a sleight of hand. That's a parlor trick because 75% of cathode is in China. Yeah. So the lithium gets made somewhere else. It comes from South America, gets shipped to China. Yeah. And I guess. You're dealing you know, with the Chinese when you sell it. And to be more explicit about the concern I guess I'm raising is, you know, uh, okay, it's cheaper. Great. We get cheaper product from here. That's great. What if in ten years, with you know Don Jr. <laughs> is starts a trade war, is is president of the United States and starts a trade war with China, and China says, "Oh well, we're just going to squeeze this little, we're going to put a squeeze on the lithium market and jack the prices up, double the prices, and see how you like that as a kind of you know uh, attack against you know." I mean, what is the risk of that kind of you know of everybody being at the mercy of of you know? of that, okay, that kind of situation I guess in the end it's it's commerce so you know but yes you can see uh, i guess there's always the potential of geopolitical tensions and another trade you know trade war and tariffs but i guess my point is it's fine the u.s has understood that there's an issue but now of course people are looking to push back about mines in their backyard and it's it's counterintuitive when you but you, what you need to do is the entire supply chain. So you've got EV manufacturing in the US, and that's growing because you've got various plants being put in. You've got the cell now expanding, and I believe that the US is going to be one of the fastest growing in the cell. You've got Canada that can supply you quite a bit. Again, I've mentioned Nouveau Monde. There'll be others that can supply graphite directly to the battery cell to do the anode, right? The anode material. Um, 
What you need is to support the cathode. And that is what Tesla was looking to put in in Texas, has put its own cathode plant. You need more of those. And then you've got, you know, the US and you've got Canada. And again, we like it. We think it's low carbon or whatever. If there's a, if, if, if mining doesn't happen quickly enough in the US, you can rely on Canadian natural resources and it's deemed, you know, the 51st state. There's plenty of spodumen in Canada that you can use and process in America if you don't want to do the physical mining. So you've got that, you've got nickel, but what you need is cathode and you need to obviously encourage mining on both sides. But again, Canada is very supportive on mining. They give people support no end and they are supportive about having battery cell plant you know they're looking at all of these things so but you do need to understand you've got to look at the entire supply chain you can't just look at lithium look at, because it, otherwise it has to be shipped out but yes it is a concern china's been thinking about how do they go to a, a, a clean energy economy for many years and they've put in government incentives penalties, et cetera, and they've been through a long road. Now the U.S. has got to do catch up, but the U.S. is, is a lot of ingenuity in the U.S. You've got the Teslas of the world with the brightest you know, engineers or what have you, but you still got to get around the fundamental. You need to allow mining to happen. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to interview Howard Klein, as I said, next, your partner. I think this will be a good starting point. This is, uh, I know this is topics that we'll get into. I'll get into with him. So this is a good jumping off point. Just final, are there any uh, top trends, anything we haven't talked about in the past two or three months or in the coming months with anything in the in the EV battery market? Also, I think, Howard, we can talk more about specific project funding and company funding because I know he does a, a regular newsletter on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't, uh, I mean, we, we've covered, you know, most of the topics, things pop up, you know, in terms of, regional issues that are, are, are sort of playing out i guess you know we've we've been on a soapbox saying you know raw materials raw materials lithium lithium and everyone said no you chicken little and you know sky is falling on your head and it's never going to happen and now of course bang it's happened and now we're we're in it and now we're scrambling to catch up there is a risk that the ev penetration rate is going to fall well below what forecasts are certainly arc and those type of forecasts because we aren't there. But if you if you let go of 2025 and you start focusing on 2030, there are things that you can do in the next two to three years to make it happen. But I think it's important to bear in mind, if you look at all the industries that contribute to GHG emissions, you know, aviation is right up there. And I think people aren't paying enough attention to that. I'd be starting to see SPACs pop up and and companies and and Boeing and some others, I think, buying some of these electric planes. Short haul will be the first, and then I guess we'll move to long haul. But we, I think, we're going to see more and more competing sectors in the move. If you want to lower GHG emissions by fifty five percent or whatever it is in the US by twenty thirty, then aviation's also got to be in there with transport. You know, with 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 trucks and and cars. So if you're asking me on it, I'm flagging to say. I know solid state is a you know throw array throw you know round word you know that that would increase energy density a lot to make that more sort of feasible. But I guess 
I think it's important to flag it to say as difficult as supply and demand is, I think watch out, there could be new industries coming to, to yeah, steal a, some battery supply. It's a really out. good point. It's a really good point. I mean, we we try to be on the on the front and and I feel like that's even an area where we're on uh, a little bit trailing. What I mean, we we cover a lot of these startups and also you know, Airbus, Boeing, these other United uh, getting into this field. And I think that I think uh, I mean clearly the first electric airplanes com- for commercial use would be like nine seaters or these kind of regional small planes. But I th- I think those the first plans for those to start really getting into service are starting next year, 2022, I believe, 2023 maybe. But, you know, they start to roll out and then, you know, we're at a kind of electric car 2011 time or something, you know, like basically 10 years behind. As battery, perhaps, technology, where... as battery tech evolves, that's going to be on the cutting edge, I think, is applications like aviation are going to be the ones that will look. And they need batteries. They'll look to utilize the sort of upper end you know, the high energy density, lighter weight, et cetera. But it's the next frontier, I think. And a lot of people are sort of, uh, they're still looking at EVs, but make no mistake now that EVs are an accepted phenomenon. Yeah, I'm, I'm very spe- now, I know most people aren't, but I'm very specific. EVs are all of these, you know, electric vehicles include the planes, the the bikes. I know most people just treat EVs as electric cars, or, but I, because the, the market is broadening, I try to be very specific, you know, um, where electric airplanes also fall under EVs, uh, electric vehicles, obviously. Uh, well, that's a really good point. We'll have to come back to I did have one more th- thing I wanted to ask you about, I forgot. Um, and I'm sure that, again, this is something I'll talk about with, with Howard, but the, the U.S. target of 20, of 40 to 50 percent, quote, zero emission vehicles by 2030, which includes plug-in hybrids as well as hydrogen, but we can just ignore that. So what do you think about this target of 40 to 50% plug-in vehicles by 2030 in the US? I had in my own internal forecast about 35 to 40%. So he's now put out, he's thrown 50 out there. I think if we can continue to see battery cell prices fall, I've said it before, it's 60 to $75 per kilowatt hour at the pack level. You can electrify everything. So if we continue to see a price drop in batteries after 2025, economically, it's not going to make sense to own anything other than that. Then it's just a question of can you roll out the cars and, you know, is there enough charging infrastructure and all of that? So I know there'll be some diehard internal combustion engine vehicle supporters in the U.S. And, uh, I mean, I heard one guy saying he'd buy 10 Fords F-150 petrols and keep them you know, and, and use them as time goes on. So, you, you know, you have some interesting. Well, we've got a lot of evidence of, of how <laughs> of things people will believe in and do in the past uh, year or two. Well, but so, so I, it sounds like it's, you're. It's a, it's a, it's a valid. I, I think that you can get there on the internal cell capacity. I think the U.S. can get to that number to be able to produce the cells in the U.S. to cover that amount of vehicles. And it sounds it's, like you're, raw you're, materials. you're in the yeah you're in the same camp as some other major market research analysis firms. It sounds like who, I mean, look, just put it frank. We have <laughs> we have we have readers who are more on the Tony Siba uh, kind of side of everything will just happen. It will all just follow this curve because that's what happens. Um, 
And I understand that argument. I understand that appeal, but it seems like people in your camp and, and others, you know, who you, you know, you might have more aggressive or less aggressive forecasts than just say the same thing, which is there's just fundament, fundamental limitation in the, in the supply of raw materials. So, so let's look at it practically speaking. The average car in the U.S. costs, a new car, costs about $41,000. If we see a $10,000 subsidy on top of that, you know, you look at how much, um, what it is that you can get for $51,000 as an electric vehicle, and how much of the market is then addressable? Because I keep raising this. In China, the average price of a new car is closer to 10. So what do you get for 10? Well, in the EV space, you know, you get quite a, you know, you get a, it's, it's a tougher, it's a tougher ask. In terms got of that, what's possible. that wooling. That yeah, the wooling. Mini- but I mean, as <laughs> yeah. I say, the only way that thing goes to 100 k's an hour is down a mine shaft. Uh, what? Say yeah. it again. <laughs> I said the only way that can get up to 100 kilometers an hour is if you drive it down a mine shaft. But the reality is China has cut biosubsidies, or they've certainly gone by the middle of 2022. So now you're down to, you've got to compete as an EV, you've got to compete against external combustion engine around a 10 to, let's say, $15,000 price mark. In the States, you've got an average car of 41000 If you get a $10,000 subsidy and that runs for a good few years, there's a very big addressable market that you can buy. You get a lot of bang for your buck at 51 in an EV versus an ICE at 41. So I see a lot of competitive forces leaning that way. And if you can get the in charging infrastructure at the same time, that $10,000 difference is going to make a lot in terms of EV adoption. So I, I am saying, yeah, I think you can get a big, quick increase because so you, you think should the be target able to get good? a better performance. You get a better performance. But I'm saying on a raw material basis, I don't see a problem with, you know, putting up cell, you can put up a battery cell plant in 18 months, two years. It's whether you can get the raw materials and the cathode in there, you know, into the cathode and then there. And that is... The U.S. has no cathode production, and ultimately, that's what's got to go into a cell. You've got the anode, as I say, you can get that from Canada, you know, from Nuvamon, Canada, or Talga, or there's you know, Novonics. They can give it to you, but where's the cathode? The cathode is not in the U.S. It's it's not there. So there's going to be some limitations unless you throw some serious money at it, and you've also got to allow mining. Wait. So I don't understand yeah. people doing a pushback, and I. And I the mining is hard because it's you know because it ends up being a local fight, right? This is uh, does, and and there are some ways at the federal level. I mean, Obama had some things in place for solar and wind plants to um, to streamline their approval at the federal level on federal land, that kind of thing. But and obviously they do it with oil and gas as well. So there are ways they could make it easier, and I think they're looking at that. But 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 just but, the but general my point is so, so you, if you think about it, if, we, if we're a one universe and you say no to a mine in Nevada or wherever it is. You're saying what you're actually saying is okay to a chemical converter in China, which has a much bigger carbon footprint. So as a as a yeah, it's really good phrasing, world, and we're, yeah. we lose. <laughs> I completely. Okay agree. I mean, I'm not a NIMBY. There's no way I I would put a mine in my backyard if if they asked me. <laughs> but you know, most people, this is the challenge: is they they want it until it's in their backyard. So the but the, we have to use that phrasing. That's a good phrasing you put, especially yeah. 
but but the general point was so you you pretty much are in alignment with that kind of that Biden target that he announced. You you're not on the no, side I'm of oh that that's way too conceptually. It makes sense if you have buyer incentives until EVs on a standalone basis from 2025 onwards are more competitive and you get more bang for your buck anyway. But you definitely don't, you're definitely not way more, way, you don't think he's being too pessimistic. You're not, you're not way more optimistic than that. You're basically, no, no, no. I mean, I think this there's is... no ways, there's always going to be, uh, you know, an element of the population that will resist it. You know, you've got a big country, you've got to put a lot of charging infrastructure in. There's a long way to go on those things. And it's reality because even the guys I speak to who will buy whatever they, and this is the whole point about high nickel cathode chemistry friends of mine do not want to stop if they're driving 600 kilometers or 700 kilometers in the states to visit their children or whatever they want to get in the car they want it fully charged and they want to go one way and then charge it when they get there so the whole concept of i'll take a smaller lfp battery i'm sure there's a market segment that'll do it but the people i know want to be able to drive long distances in their cars but if you can convert a lot of uh, petrol sta- you know, gas stations, you call them, into EV charging and you have no worry about it and you can charge your car in five minutes, then we're open to you know, different, you know, different battery packs and different technology. If you knew you could pull in in five minutes, you charged up to 80% or whatever, then it's fine. Well, thank you very much, Rodney. This is, uh, we could keep talking, but I'm sure we both have to go and we'll follow up with Howard. You know, feel, feel free to drop him anything you forgot to, to say or any questions. Thank you so much. I, I feel like, you know, every time I talk to you, we need to talk more frequently, but we, you know, we all also have other guests we get on the show. So, but we, we should talk more, more frequently in the coming uh, six months or so. Sure. Good to chat. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Enjoy the gloomy weather in, in the UK. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.